John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1311.PR1618, certificate number 50231. The Titanic 2. You're crazy. That's what everybody says, but with all due respect, miss, I'm not the one hanging off the back of a ship here. Now, when you think about stuff you'd like to see in the world, where does another Titanic <laughs> rank <laughs> so i need to list everything i want to see in the world all the way from peace on earth to a sequel to master and commander the far side of the world oh god i would pay so much to see that oh why didn't they make them too i expensive? would say more than either of those i would like to see a new version of the failed ocean liner titanic because look what's the one thing an ocean liner is supposed to do Hmm. Cross the ocean, right? <laughs> right, right, right. Titanic never did it. You're right. So it's like, when's the other shoe going to drop? You You're know? right. Like, don't leave us hanging, White Star Line of 1912. <laughs> it's been 110 years. Make it across the ocean. I hadn't even considered that at In fact, I think the Titanic 2 should start where the other one went down. Whoa. How would you get it there? You mean tow it there? <sighs> I think you would either have to build it there. Right. Okay. Or possibly 300 maybe, miles south of Newfoundland. And maybe build it underwater and Whoa. then have it rise up in the same spot where the other one sank. Okay. And then continue the voyage. I mean, different different crew and passengers, of course. Yeah, you're a visionary. But maybe you'd have the equivalent of all those people. Like instead of John Jacob Astor, you know, get, get Elon Musk on there, get Zuckerberg on there, and maybe it'll sink again. You are so close to the actual plot of this story is that right well i mean they're they're not building it in the center of the ocean but i thought Titanic 2 was going to be like a movie like oh like uh who is it <laughs> like universal but, <laughs> or whatever telling cameron look fox 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 is telling james cameron hey that movie made so much money for us do one that's set on the lusitania two words titanic <laughs> two the leads are still with us thank god we got kate we got leo right uh they get on the Titanic 2 to head home, and yep. right. it just occurred to me that actually their characters are dead, both of them at the end of the movie. Or are they? Well, I mean, Rose is only dead in 2000, or 1998, 1997? When was that movie made? Leo seems dead. So how do you think he got out of it? Mm. It was a clone. 
he surfed on that piece of plywood. It was a shield LMD life model decoy <laughs> who actually died. The real Leo is back in the car where they had sex in steerage. No, you know what it is? It's the UFOs came up out of the ocean where they live, grabbed him, put him cyrogenically frozen. Just him? Not any of the other hundreds of victims? Just him because he's Leonardo DiCaprio. The UFOs carefully considered all the other dead people Oh, in and the John water. Jacob Astor. Oh, really? Yeah, they kept the two of them. Isn't that the guy from, uh, like he's on All My Children or something, all right? That guy's some soap star? Is it, is it, I thought that was Anastasia the guy in the movie. of the, of the, uh, the uh, <laughs> white Russians. So the UFOs are like, um, the cute old couple, they die. The, yeah. mo- the tearful mom tucking in her kids to die, die. They, uh, they all die. All the, the guys in the band died. <laughs> <laughs> the brave captain dies. Died. Um, but the handsome upstart. He, was just, he just wanted to start a new life. He lived under the ocean until just recently. Come back for to star in the movie Titanic 2. Is there any implication that Rose might be pregnant at the end of the movie? Interesting. Is it possible that, that the granddaughter she's with could be a descendant of Jack? I like this theory. Maybe Titanic 2 actually stars her. We're getting really close to the actual story Typically here. in movies where people have sex once and then one of them dies, it's in order mm-hmm. that uh, implantation occurs. Yeah, it's That's the, all it's the movie the Terminator plot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The movie just needs a, a little John Connor. What's interesting is that he knew when he came back in time that he was John Connor's father, didn't he? Or did he not? No, he didn't. John Connor knew, but he never told Reese that he was his dad. So Reese fell in love with the mom independently. He didn't have like, it would be totally creepy if he knew. But imagine you're just chilling with this dude younger than you. You know, they're they're in an army, so they're probably having a lot of campfires and male bonding and whatnot, MREs. And the mm-hmm. whole time he's like, this young guy's my dad. Well, weird, of course, that he knew from the time he was 10. So he's like, I know I'm going to be the leader of this group. I know that I'm going to send you back in time, even though I don't have that technology Wait, yet. does Michael B. never figure it out in the first movie? Does he figure it out after? Or does he die with and never know? I think he dies without ever knowing. Or maybe at the very end, he knows right as he dies. Right as the Terminator eats him. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the Terminator eats him. <laughs> Have you heard the story that um, they had a different idea for who to cast instead of Arnold, but they were afraid nobody would buy him as a bad guy because he was so likable? Have you heard this? Who, Arnold? No. Was so likable? No. O.J. Oh. Simpson. Oh. The idea was to cast O.J. Simpson, but you know he was so universally loved so that nobody beloved. would buy him as an unstoppable killer robot. Did he ever do... He never played a bad guy in anything except real life. No, he's very nice in uh, the Naked Gun movies. Yep. Perfectly lovely in, uh, what, The Towering Inferno? I don't know. He's, yeah. he's in some of those 70s disaster movies. Great in all those commercials where he's jumping over luggage. Yeah. I mean, hmm. that's a guy who, uh, when he's in a hurry, can really get where he wants to go. Whereas Arnold has murdered tens of thousands of people in films, but he seems like such a swell fellow. Great grand and a a womanizer. Great, maybe uh, not a great dad. Great governor. Oh, (laughs) one of the best. (laughs) Uh, But you know, great dad. That's a that's a high bar. So, what is Titanic two? Yeah, I know it's not a movie. Well, it it's not a movie. Although there is a movie associated with this, but we'll we'll come to that. Well, uh, a few years ago, you know, I, I mentioned the Joko Cruise on the last episode, and now I'm doing it again, even though I'm permanently banished from it. So I can't say it anymore with 
That's why you have to talk about with it. With the joy that I used to feel about it as a thing I did for 10 years, now I have to I have to mention it with a kind of wry sorrow. We did an omnibus about shipwrecks on the Joko Cruise. Just we, I thought it would be funny. We did. Yeah, that was we did two shows on the Joko Cruise live in the in the big uh, the big stadium. And one of them was about shipwrecks, and you actually it, had Amy Mann get up and read a poem. It was about the Titanic. It was about the the novel that predicted the sinking of the Titanic. But we've also done a show here on uh, the the omnibus about the SS United States, right? Another old, uh, great storied cruise ship that didn't that's sitting now rusting in port in Philadelphia after many many attempts to resurrect it, stripped of all of its. Art Deco salt shakers. Just like the real United States. Mm. We, I'm sure we made that point at the time. Yeah, but I think it's apt to make it again. But what was your experience? Was that was, was that your first cruise when, when uh, Omnibus was live on the Joko cruise? First and last, probably. First and last. I guess I, um, the time I went to Antarctica with a friend... We kind of took a, it's, you know, it's, it's small, a, it's a Russian icebreaker surplus icebreaker, Soviet era, Russian icebreaker ship. Right. You don't have um, your own en suite bathtub. Uh, no, no, we were in, we were in bunks. We were the, we were the merry Irish dancing Titanic steerage passengers. Right. Um, right. On Jacques Cousteau's. But, the, but some of the experience of, you know. Going stop to stop. What's no. for dinner tonight? What's the talk after dinner in the Borscht lounge? Again. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but no, the the cruise experience was very different. And did you have the experience of standing on your balcony in the night, looking out on the on the uh, the ocean, thinking, "What if this boat sank right now?" Like, did you have the feeling of like, "There are the lifeboats." Like, how would I? What would I do? I think about it when I see the lifeboats. I always think about it during the lifeboat drill. Never otherwise. I think it's just a I mean, coping you've only been mechanism. You've on one cruise, so how? Well, even on a ferry or oh, a, sure. like every time I'm on a boat, I don't think about anything bad that could happen. And it's the same on planes. And I think it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. My brain has decided to pretend I'm on solid, reliable ground the whole time I'm on a I'm on air or sea. And so far, it's been true. I've walked off every boat and plane I've ever been on. <laughs> Almost every time I'm on a boat or an airplane, I spend the entire time imagining, what, what, what would I do now? Is it fear what, what or, or, or just fascination? Fascination. It's just Because you're excitement. not actually, you don't have the, a fear of boats the way some people do. No, or a fear of airplanes. Right. I always assume, maybe incorrectly, but I've lived my whole life assuming that no matter what disaster it is, I would be one of the ones to escape. Survivor bias. And so uh, I assume if, if a missile were to hit a jet I was on at 35,000 feet, I would get sucked out would, and fall but land in, a, <laughs> land in a verdant field. Or it would just kill the people in first class or something. Right. And I'd be, well, you know, I'm sitting adjacent to first class in, in economy. In, in premium economy. <laughs> It'll kill the people back by the bad, stinky bathroom. Yeah, that's And everybody right. in premium economy will be fine. No, I mean, it's dumb, but I think about... All those years on cruise ships, I thought about, you know, what would happen. Usually, though, as time went on, I, I think I thought more about sea monsters and then, of course, UFOs. Thought less about U-boat torpedoes, which might have been more of an issue in, 2000, in, in, the, in, the, yeah. in 2010. A lot of ships being shot down still by U-boat captains who had not been told the war was over. That's right. But by 2019, it was, you know, most of those U-boat captains were gone, finally. Sure, the captains were all 130 years old, which didn't help. 
But of course, the Titanic looms largest in our minds, right? Is there a more famous cruise ship than the Titanic? Yeah, well, no, because could, how could it be more effective? It's not just, I mean, it's not just that it was the most impressive ship ever. It's not just that more people died than, you know, it was one of the biggest catastrophes of the time, but also just the perfect narrative of it happening on the maiden voyage. Oh, uh, the unsinkable Molly Brown. Right. It would be like 9-11 happening the day they opened the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. Too soon. Well, I mean, you'd see how you can see how that would just be an even crazier, yeah. more traumatic story. I mean, we already never forget. Never. Imagine how never we would forget if it happened on its opening day. Or if the day that San Francisco opened, <laughs> there was an earthquake and it burned down. I was there. Uh, we so waited yeah, in line all day. I mean, just it's irresistible as narrative, and then all the stuff you can overlay on it, hubris and whatever else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the, uh, one of the things that very recent scholarship has shown, you know, the Titanic, when it was discovered at the bottom of the ocean, 12,000 feet down, um, of course the bow is buried in the sand. And so you can't really see the, the portion of the ship that the king of the world part, you can see that in your imaginarium. No, you can't see the the damage. So you, mm. so it's very hard to, to reproduce, you know, to, to recreate using science, what actually happened because, you know, all the places that it collided with the, with the iceberg are, are not visible. I've seen computer modeling that kind of treats it as a settled thing. Did they, were they able to, I don't know, do some kind of ground penetrating radar of the damage or something? No, but some pieces of the hull were found that, um, that seemed to indicate that the actual metallurgy of the steel had a very high sulfur content, even higher than the regular sulfur fulls, you know, sulfur fertile, sulfur full steel of the era. Um, the, the steel they used there in Belfast was very sulfuric. And Is that not good? No, it made it. Uh, especially in the freezing, sub-freezing temperatures of the North Atlantic at the mm. time, it made the steel very brittle. So when it collided with the iceberg, you know, it's one of the questions I've always had. Like, it hit an iceberg? Doesn't ice, even really frozen ice, doesn't it kind of crumble? How did it penetrate a metal ship? The thick metal of a ship. Um, and that was never addressed in all the decades of Oh, the Titanic hit an iceberg and it broke apart the, the you know, punch, punctured holes in the ship. Yeah, and I, I would say it wasn't an, even until the movie that I re recognized that it wasn't a big disastrous crash kaboom. It's just a series of scrapes that that later lead to something catastrophic because of bad engineering. Yeah, and what's what's funny about it is below the waterline. You hear this below the waterline business of it. Um, you know, penetrating multiple watertight compartments. Mm -hmm. But what's funny, not ha ha funny, not ha ha funny, is that the bulkheads between the watertight compartments, they only were watertight below the waterline. That the bulkheads of the watertight compartments were, they were only watertight laterally, not vertically. The right. walls ended like just not that. Far above the waterline. Yeah, they show it in the movie. That so, as soon as the water goes over that wall, yeah. then you're Th done. Then it just spreads everywhere. And and 
uh, it's been suggested and that water will and a sinking ship water will go above a certain level of yes, the, it will. of the bear of the bulkheads. It's been suggested that if those bulkheads weren't there at all, the water that leaked in would have been spread evenly across the bottom of the ship, and it would have stayed afloat for hours and hours and hours and hours, long uh. enough for the ships to come rescue it. But because the because the bulkheads sequestered the water in the in the bow, it tipped. It tipped, and that's why it sank so fast. But but I think the current feeling metallurgically about it is that the steel would have like contemporary steel would have deformed when it hit the the iceberg, and and as it is, it shattered. And the, these pieces that were found on the floor of the ocean kind of confirmed it was shattered like glass. So are we blaming Northern Ireland or is this true of, which would have been true of steel foundries all over the world? I know you like to place the blame on the Irish. Wherever possible, but Northern Irish even. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm kind of ecumenical about this. Um, I I think that the, you know, I'm, listen, I'm not going to take a stand on the Omnibus project one way or the other about the shipbuilders of Belfast. I support all shipbuilders. You know, I support this, the, the Scottish shipbuilders on the River Clyde. I support the, the Irish shipbuilders. I support the Polish shipbuilders. I support the shipbuilders of Bremerton, Washington. The shipbuilders of Venus, sending the, their saucer craft. The Venusian shipbuilders. Down to us. Um, but, so, so they're and all, also, you know, like, the, it sheared off the super brittle bolts also. Oh, yeah. 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 Bolts shouldn't do that. No, that's not what you want in a bolt. No, if I'm on a plane and that happens, and the combination, I'm of, leaving a, I'm leaving a comment card. <laughs> you sure would. The combination of the cold water and the brittle metal, you know, mm. is is a big part of them. But you know, still, I'm sure there's other lovely things about the shipbuilders of Belfast. Oh even, yeah, even if this was kind of a. You know, not their finest hour. Sure. I mean, if it weren't for the shipbuilders of Belfast, you wouldn't have the decline of Belfast. And then you wouldn't have the troubles. You wouldn't have the movie Belfast. You wouldn't have the movie which Belfast. Which means Kenneth Branagh never direct Shakespeare or Thor for that matter. Right. You wouldn't have. Or a bunch of weird Agatha Christie movies for elderly people. All the great sort of protest music of the early 80s. You wouldn't have U2. You wouldn't have Van Morrison. Nope, you wouldn't have Van Morrison. Which means maybe more people are wearing masks right now. The the bar Kells in uh, in the Pike Place Market where I worked briefly in the 90s. That wouldn't be there. What about other Irish pubs? They'd all be there, just, oh, not, might. just not that one no, in the, the market? Irish, but the thing is that, that Kells is, uh, that, that's actually an Irish pub run by Orangemen. Ooh, I didn't know there were as a Northern Irish bar. Yeah, Seattle. they kept it secret is why, because nobody wants to go to an Irish bar that's run by Protestants. They had pub trivia, but it was all, <laughs> it was all anti-Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> well, you and I and all the listeners of Omnibus are not alone in uh, being sentimental about the Titanic. And as we discussed in the SS United States episode, it seems to be a kind of uh, affliction, a, a sentimentality, kind of like the the Swiss sentimentality for their uh, "Cows Come Home" song. Mm-hmm. It causes a certain kind of person to fall down and die out of sentimentality for the golden age of cruise ships. Is the idea that the Titanic helped end that age, or just that it was re- emblematic of it? Emblematic of it. Mm-hmm. The idea that um, that 
contemporary cruise ships are vulgar, which they clearly are. Not Disney cruises. Even the even the nicest ones, even the Disney cruises <laughs> are gross. You know, they they are just because of all the norovirus you get. Everything else is oh, pretty fun. That and the water slides and the and the gravy, and the endless the, gravy, all the diarrhea and the water slides. The sure, but I, I I'm including that under the norovirus umbrella. But there is a, you know, there's a certain kind of sentimentality for the golden age of everything, a time when people wore tuxedos. That's basically, you're missing a time when only rich people could afford to be on ships. That's right. And airplanes. It's, it's just like, exactly. It's yeah. like the nostalgia for the piano bars at the top of a 747 are really just like, remember when plane tickets cost so much that, uh, you know, you had to drive to grandma's? I think it tends to be a middle class uh, romanticizing of a time when they would have completely been excluded from <laughs> That's right. all of these events. And they feel like now they can afford it, but they wish it but was. But it would have been, yeah. Yeah, they wish it was still Somehow the exclusivity nice would have allowed me in. Right, right. There was a, somebody recently posted an ad for a, here's the new economy class lounge aboard the Pan Am, whatever. And it was a, you know, it looked like nicer than anything that international first class has today. But it was literally the economy lounge in part of a wide body jet. But you're right. T- but plane the, tickets were twenty five hundred dollars. Exactly. The tickets <laughs> tickets cost ten times as much in in actual dollars. Yeah, my mom talks about uh, people getting all dressed up with white gloves and pillbox hats to f- travel on seven oh sevens, super loud, smoky seven oh sevens. But yeah, it was not a thing that everybody. Did. You didn't just fly back to Tucson to visit grandma three times a year. No, but that romanticism and I'm guilty of it uh, looking at all the pictures of Times Square when every single person was wearing a black suit or a giant bustle and thinking God it sucks so bad now why why aren't we as as delightful and and uh, well tailored as they as they were I notice it when you watch some 50s movie and even the juvenile delinquents are wearing ties yeah like of all the things they can think of to make you think that these are low class ruffians they would never think of not putting them in a tie and jacket no it's just that their tie is rumpled exactly well and all the times that Cary Grant sends his suit out to be pressed <laughs> right. in North by Northwest Dude, you're fleeing across <laughs> the country <laughs> and you just think how hard can it be well getting your suit pressed now is not as simple as um, so we saw in the SS United States, uh, there've been several attempts made and involving, you know, billionaires, which is one of the reasons we can't tax the rich where they think, how hard can it be to take this still floating, beautiful ship and just put everything back in it and use it to revive the golden age, revive of, the golden age. We're going to sell transoceanic travel, expensive tickets on this beautiful boat. And instead of water slides and, you know, every room has a, the same exact bathtub. Uh, this is going to be a time when every night there's a string quartet and there's a captain's table and there, and everyone's wearing tuxedos. And that would be impossible to enforce as anyone who has ever thrown a birthday party where they said, it's a 50s themed birthday party. And nine out of 10 of the guys that show up are wearing the brown suit that they wore to their brother-in-law's wedding. And they have no sense of. What it, you know the 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 ladies typically are actually try and get there you know you're saying America the West no longer has the fashion know how no they wouldn't even know a, how to have a costume party let alone a no a, a, a 
fancy cruise. If you, if you, what if you had people on board the boat to dress them? Well, that's the thing. You'd need a shop in the basement that was like, here's where you rent your tuxedo. It comes with your ticket. I mean, having I been on. I kind of want that too. I don't want to pack a tuxedo. I know, exactly. And then the cruise ships do sometimes do that. But having been on a cruise many, many times, I know that no one gets it, right? Everybody rents a white tuxedo and it's like, no, sorry, white tuxedo, no. And you would get that on a North Atlantic cruise. Half the people would be in white dinner jackets. It's like, no, no. I should do an episode just on how to wear a tuxedo. Exactly. But, but. I know that knowledge will be lost. I know the the people in that are, that would be riding on a resurrected SS United States. Most of them would not know unless tickets were $20,000. And even then half the people would show up in fleece. Yeah, I was about to say, really? You think today's billionaire class knows how to wear a tuxedo? No, they don't, but they might have somebody to dress them. This entry in the omnibus is brought to you by Squarespace the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing a business online because they can help you create a beautiful website, engage with your audience and sell anything, whether that's your products, your content, even your time. We use Squarespace and uh, whatever it is you're making, doing or selling, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get your business off the ground. Easy to use. They have custom templates, for example. You know, so you can, they have best in class templates for no matter what your site is or needs to look like. You just search for the category of business you have and they've got a website look that will work for you. Johnroderick.com is a Squarespace template that I modded to be cool, as cool as me. I mean, maybe you're starting a business that's by appointment and you're going to be a personal trainer or offer consulting services. Guess what? You can also add online booking and scheduling to your Squarespace site. They've already got an engine ready to go that'll handle all your booking and scheduling. Whatever it is you're making, doing, or selling, Squarespace has all the tools you need to get your business off the ground. So it's not just a website. You also get inventory management. You get web checkout. You get secure payments. It all comes bundled together. So head to squarespace.com omnibus for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code Omnibus to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Anyway, our story begins not in the frozen North Atlantic, but Good. in on the Gold Coast of Australia. Even better. <laughs> the, uh, talk about class and dignity. <laughs> the casinos of <laughs> Queensland. <laughs> are you familiar? Now, our, our listeners, uh, of which there are a great many in uh, the Anzac part of the world. The Antipodes. Um, they're going to be super duper either excited or rolling their eyes at this show because this would be, this whole story would be fairly common knowledge in Australia. Um, are you familiar with the, I mean, and I'm just going to come right out and say the natural living treasure of Australia by the name of Clive Parker. I thought you were going to say the Great Barrier Reef. The natural That's a natural living treasure. There are two natural living treasures, the Great Barrier (laughs) Reef and Clive Parker. Well, no, he's a national living treasure, not a natural one. Oh, He's an unnatural living treasure. But he's living. He's living. Despite ocean acidification, he's not bleaching. He's super living. He is super duper Australian boomer. Let me guess. He is a musician. No. He is a TV presenter. He plays Australian rules football. No, although... Is he an athlete? Although not, you're not far. 
from he, it? He's an uh, he's an equestrian. He's a horseman. No, he's none of those things. Let me describe him and see if he sounds like somebody you know. Okay. Uh, his father was a real estate uh, kind of, you know, he, he wasn't like the biggest real estate guy, but he was a real estate guy. I think I already see where this is going. And uh, then, so he was kind of born into a real estate uh, legacy. He became rich at real estate during a real estate boom on the Gold Coast. So Queensland instead of Queens, got it. He translated that real estate money into, uh, he bought a lot of natural resource extraction businesses in the form of mines and mining companies that, um, you know, were mining iron and nickel, coal. These are all things in great abundance in Australia. Uh, he became a wealthy person, at which point he he got back into real estate, built a lot of golf courses and resorts. Did he buy the New Jersey Generals or the USFL? <laughs> he didn't. He did, however, buy um, the Gold Coast United football team. There you go. He named all of his golf resorts after himself. Look, when does he start necking with his daughter and become prime minister of Australia? He started a political party. Hmm. Nativist or not? Yes, that he named after himself. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the platform of the political party, which was known as the Clive Palmer United Party. Didn't you say Parker before? Did I? Oh, it should have been Palmer. Did I not say Palmer? No. Yeah, sure. You said Palmer. Clive Parker is some kind of record label guy. <laughs> uh, Clive Cl Clive Palmer. As everyone here listening knows, you were saying Palmer all along. I was saying Palmer all along. Let's hope I was. Um, the Palmer United Party. Here, some of its uh, platforms are it's pro alternative medicine. Yeah. But it's against lockdowns and vaccinations. Wait, this is this very contemporary? You know, lockdowns have not been a political issue for most of the 20th century. This is very contemporary. Okay. Uh, Clive Palmer is a boomer. Yeah. Born in, he, and he's, a, he's like a full on, right in the heart of it, born in the 50s boomer. Um, they're pro-nuclear energy and super pro defense against China. Yeah. The, the regional power. Um, they're down on American social media and American billionaires. They're pro rural tax reform, but they're very like Australian values. They're pro, they're nativist conservative political party. What are the Australian values? Do you think? Uh, boomerangs cooked meats. They're pro shrimps on the Barbie. All the, our Australian listeners are like, please don't say shrimps don't on say, the They're going to say shrimps on the Barbie. God. They're going to mention Yahoo serious now. Every time it's the only thing they know about us. And, uh, and I think crucially kind of tacked on to the bottom of, uh, the Clive Parker party or Palmer. Uh, dang it. I did say Parker, didn't I? What, you know what it is? It's my handwriting. I'm going to make a big M there. Thank you. Um, the Clive Palmer United Australia Party. Right or, right, or Cluat. Right, right or down. Kapuat? Kapuat. Kaplap. To plap. 
No, it's Kaplap. Okay. Uh, they have a very strong, like, there should be more mining in Australia. Yeah. Uh, platform. I agree with that, but that's because I'm not from Australia. Is that right? Yeah. Don't you feel like Australia No, decimate Australia and send the the natural resources to P.O. Box 55744, (laughs) Shoreline, Washington. (laughs) Yes. Um, Clive Palmer is a very divisive figure in Australian public life. He's a charismatic, bombastic fantasist. Has he ever run for public office himself? He has. In fact, the Clive Palmer... uh, United Australia party. He ran for the legislature and won and served one term, but the party was the party put up a whole slate of candidates. And at various times, those candidates, um, have, have had people in the legislature national office and, um, and holding, you know, various national and local offices. The, the, the party has rebranded itself as just the United Australia Party. It kind of fell apart for a while and then kind of came back. And the United Australia Party is a uh, is a kind of super conservative nativist party from the 1930s. Oh. So they resurrected the name. Yeah, no successful American party has ever had a person's name in it, maybe, and maybe not too many other countries. I guess the Peronistas in Argentina. Yeah, right. Or the Peronistas of uh, of Ross Perot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's called the Reform Party. But so he's a very he's a colorful. I hate to say that he's Australia's Donald Trump because that's not I'm that's sure. a facile observation. But isn't it in every headline about him too? Probably, yeah. He um he made a big stink during the pandemic about not locking down. He also promoted uh hydroxychloroquine or whatever the hell that stuff was, right. the malaria drug. He actually The Ivermectin of 2020. Yeah, he uh he bought or paid for 32 million doses of it that he gave to the National Health um, and he, after, after buying them and donating them, he also said, I would like to have my name and company logo put on every one. And the national health was like, no, you can't, we're not going to allow you to do yeah. that. But he's that kind of guy. Um, and I think generally, um, well, you want to say that like Donald Trump, he's, he's considered, a a, um, a divisive character, but he also somehow within Australia has enough credibility that he gets appointed to, you know, international panels. He's, um, he's still a rich, he's still a rich tycoon. Those guys get what they want. He's the seventh richest guy in Australia, but he was, I wasn't kidding when I said he was declared by the national trust to be a national living treasure of Australia. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> it, uh, it apparently is, and apparently I mean, they, the they standards have that are in low. like you know they have that for World Heritage sites, but it's it's rarely a uh, it's rarely a conservative politician. Yeah, he um, when in Australia visit Clive Palmer. He when he owned the uh, the uh, Gold Coast United Football Club, he actually put uh, the words "freedom of speech" on the back of all of their jerseys so he's also one of these uh i can say anything i want 
and its freedom of speech kind of uh, characters. But he appears to be smarter than than our equivalent, what we would call the United States' Clive Palmer, Donald Trump. Right. And so at some point in the – and he loves to get sued. He gets sued a lot by people for various industrial problems and other things. He is our Trump. And he Except loves for to, the bankruptcies. He loves to fight people. He calls uh, litigation one of his hobbies. And in 2013, um, he decided he was going to build a resort that was a Jurassic Park. And so he bought a Hyatt Resort. Uh, called the Coulomb Resort. What does that mean? He was going to make a dinosaur-themed destination? He bought 160 animatronic dinosaurs, including a animatronic T-Rex that stood, well, it was a life-sized Tyrannosaurus. Wow. And they're all Chuck E. Cheese robots. And he opened this enormous resort where he sold condos to retirees and it was you that's know, not this, part of the Jurassic Park business plan. We don't know if anybody lives in the park full time. It was also a golf course. One mm. one should note. Um, and weirdly, it was not a smashing success. And o- after only two years, they shut down the the dinosaur park, which I think is still sitting there, dormant. Dinosaurs all covered with tarps. That's what I like. I like it in the American West too. Just a bunch of bunch of dinosaurs in the middle of nowhere. Well, and he got sued by a bunch of uh, dinosaurs in the form of retirees. But then in 2000, right about the same time as he was building his, uh, his dinosaur attraction, which was called, I should note, not Jurassic Park, but Palmersaurus. Couldn't get the rights. Uh, he announced that he was going to rebuild the Titanic. Wow. A brand new Titanic. A legacy of success, even greater than that of Jurassic Park, a theme park that never even opened. He was going to uh, build it exactly as a replica of the Titanic, but with all mod cons. So It's going to be difficult. It was difficult. He, um, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of floor plan decisions are different once you take into account modern expectations of what bathrooms have in them and stuff. That's right. That, I mean, one of the main... Problems is everybody wants a bathroom. Um, but he, so he, he contracted a couple of Titanic experts, like bona fide, having written books about the Titanic and, you know, know all about the Titanic. A couple of guys named Steve Hall and Daniel Klistorner. Klistorner. Fletch character, Daniel, Daniel Klistorner. Klistorner. And um, what's, what's curious is that as you take the old Titanic and you take all of the steam generating, coal burning. Right. A huge part of the ship is is coal storage and, right. and massive turbines. You right? take all of that out, you can replace a lot of that with the stuff that you need on a modern cruise ship. All the crew cabins that aren't just tiny bunks. Um, all of the, you know, you put the diesel engines and you've got now all the different kind of azimuth control all the uh, stuff the gyroscopic stability that lets you move a ship around Mm. um even two of the smokestacks were not needed as smokestacks they could be crew cabins they actually were going to be um and maybe still will be uh like 
viewing platforms where they put windows at the top, but they were blacked out. You know, they yeah, were because the black, black stripe. Yeah, so they looked like smokestacks, but they were really viewing towers. You could climb up and view it. And he said, you know, we're going to build this. Um, originally, the Titanic sailed for the White Star Line. He started a company called the Blue Star Line, and he had a plan to resail the route of the Titanic, Southampton to New York City, with the new Titanic, and it was going to be... But this time, we'll arrive. This time, we'll do it right. He actually got uh, Terry Ismay, who was the great, great grandnephew of... The designer, Of the White Star Line owner, Jay Bruce Bruce Ismay, Ismay. um, who survived. And he got Molly Brown's great-granddaughter, Helen Benzinger, Benziger, and they both became part of the trust and, wow. uh, and endorsing, you know, the exciting new Titanic. That's that the dream to, to be a descendant of somebody kind of famous and just every year hope the phone rings. Yeah. What, what's going to happen next? Maybe do people, they'll rebuild the Titanic. Do people remember grandpa's music? Well, let's find out. <laughs> um, he initially said it was going to launch in 2016. I uh, then remember that happening. Bumped it back to 2018. Then there were some problems, some this and that, some assorted what should we call it? And just recently, within the last few months, it's uh, been a resurrect. It's resurrected now, and he's promising a 2022 launch. No, it's twenty thousand. It's two thousand twenty-two right now. I know this is what's so exciting. Isn't about the ship it. still vaporware? Like, is there a? Is there a? a what, what do boats have instead of a chassis? There does not appear to be. A, uh, the keel has not, it doesn't seem like the keel has been laid, although maybe it has in secret. The thing is he's contracted with a state shipbuilding enterprise in China. His, his enemy, his mortal enemy, the Chinese. That's right. The Chinese are going to build this ship and the Chinese have never built a cruise ship. They're very good at building, uh, cargo ships, mm-hmm. but they don't, the, the Chinese company that he's contracted to build the ship does not actually have a dry dock. Um, they launch their ship side launch. You've seen yeah. a ship where they just dive it into the ocean by its side. Uh, but uh, if does they that work were, for a cruise liner this size, no one has ever done it. This would be the <laughs> largest side launch of a ship in history by a long margin. I mean, it's going to be a great YouTube video either way, whether it survives the launch or not. <laughs> yeah, it would be uh, it would be extraordinary to watch. No one is confident that the Chinese state shipbuilding company uh, that is called so the the state owned shipping shipbuilders, the CSC Jingling Shipyard, mm-hmm. um, they do not appear to have a Titanic being built. And of course to build the original Titanic took seven years. And you can see on Google earth, if there's like a, just an extra Titanic somewhere. Yeah. Right. Um, so, uh, as time went on, of course, there were a lot of things that he couldn't put in the Titanic. He couldn't use real wood paneling like the original had because it for budget reasons, no, for fire reasons. Ah. Uh, he could not have the third class be as shabby as the original third class was because nobody would want to ride in it. The original first, third class being, you know, a truly steerage. Yeah, there's no Irish anymore. So he had he had to uh, he had to fix up the third class, and he had to put ensuite bathrooms. There were a lot of things he couldn't do, including some of the ship design 
things. You know, ships uh, designed in the time had ha- had camber. The front of the boat and the back of the boat had, uh, you know, kind of an elaborate curve to them, right? In a like the the stern and the and the bow, and those are not used in shipbuilding anymore. It's not uh, known to be efficient or it's just impossible to build or, uh, no, in fact, it's, it's like unsafe, uh, at the ship will tip over. Yeah. It's, it makes the ship unstable and the ship had to be a little wider. Um, there had to be a extra deck added for actual lifeboats, but he had plans (laughs) to have replica lifeboat lifeboats up on the deck. I Which, think in the name of historical accuracy, you should be able to get like a mulligan and just have the same number of lifeboats as before. It would be very confusing to be on a ship and have a deck where the lifeboats were replicas and then another deck where they were real lifeboats. You're going to have a very confusing lifeboat drill. First, we're going to do the reenactment lifeboat drill where they all go to the fake ones. And then we're going to have the real one where we go to the real ones. Yeah. he. Uh, so the, the camber and the shear on the boat, they're actually going to build fake camber that that doesn't extend below the waterline like under the water it will be a modern ship design and then above the water there will be it. this kind of fake curvature to the bow and the stern uh including a rudder that is just a replica because modern ships that size don't have don't giant have rudders oh wow but the, the, there will be a rudder sticking out of the water where there that where could, there once that was could one. be like a cabin or something too i'd i'd, I'd stay in the rudder so we're counting on now. Unfortunately, Clive Palmer also, uh, in this same time, uh, said he was going to reintroduce the Zeppelin <laughs> and the Hindenburg, and start not the Hindenburg specifically, but start a a, a, a new line of ocean traversing dirigibles. He hasn't followed through on that yet, but he's back in the game with the Titanic. Now there was prior in 1999 a South African businessman by the name of Sarl Gauss, Gauss, Sarl Gauss, Sarel Gauss, also said that he was going to build a new Titanic and spent several years trying to raise the money. He was a multimillionaire. He needed $500 million to build his new Titanic. And he worked on also a, a, an exact copy of the Titanic and was you know, made great progress, but did not actually ever create this Titanic and kind of let, but he, I think his, his plans ended up in the hands of Palmer. This seems to me like a case of just rotten billionaire brain where a bunch of rich people are told the story of the Titanic. And instead of thinking 1500 people, mostly largely poor people died, they see it as a story of just a really fancy ship with great fixtures and really nice paneling. Like they hear the story of the Titanic and they see, hear something totally different, which is bygone luxury. That is not the story of the Titanic or the lesson of the Titanic, my friends. It is super true what you say. And in fact, when uh, when the South African Titanic was being vetted and proposed and, and batted about, the oldest living survivor of the, of the Titanic, Milvina Dean... I think she was the last one when she died. She was the la- the the oldest Titanic survivor. She was only two months old when she sailed on the Titanic with her family. Her father was lost. Um, she came out against the proposed new Titanic. She thought it was in bad taste. 
Um, the Titanic International Society, which is a, a t- t- Titanic commemorating society, thinks uh, the same as you. Well, of that, course they would, those interest, special interest groups. What but, do the people want? <laughs> this is a terrible, terrible idea, disrespectful to the, to the dead and missing the point entirely. Um, but Palmer is convinced that he's been the victim. Uh, for a while, he, he said he was the victim of a conspiracy to, um, to defeat him on the, nas- on the global stage, a conspiracy run by Obama, the CIA, Rockefeller, and Greenpeace. And a secret pizza parlor being run out from out uh, under uh, 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 the U.S. Embassy in Canberra. As you know, the CIA and Greenpeace often conspire. Yeah, no one loves Greenpeace more than the CIA and vice versa. But in a final twist, his is not the only full-scale Titanic <gasps> replica. Okay, this would be my dream. Being built now. Two of these projects actually make it to completion, and they fight over which one is the Titanic 2 and which is the Titanic 3. Who's the other contender here? Well, in China, the uh, James Cameron movie Titanic was enormously popular, and it was, in translation, seen very much as a story of human triumph over adversity. Sure. That it's a story uh, where that love, old lady didn't die. love conquers all. And uh, there was a selflessness to, in, in their uh, watching of the movie, the selflessness of all the people that helped the women and children escape, somehow missing all of the 1,500 people that in steerage that were locked below decks. So in China, it's an extremely popular cult movie. Titanic is not compatible with Marxism. And we need to it's let the Chinese all. Communist Party know. But the Chinese Communist Party isn't compatible with Marxism either. <laughs> That's correct. And is it compatible with Maoism? I don't think Titanic's compatible with Maoism. It's not really. But a full-scale Titanic is being constructed right now. The keel was actually laid in 2016, and it is it, they're up to the superstructure. <gasps> Now, it is fully scheduled for completion to be the centerpiece of a, um, of a resort called Romondesi. Romondesi? Romondesi. And it's never going to sail. It's going to be permanently moored in a, in a reservoir by the River Key. So in the Sichuan province. So wealthy Chinese vacationers can go hang out on the Titanic in dock. Yeah, that's right. It's a hotel. And then hit the pool. It's a hotel, but it is a, it is an, a life-size replica of the Titanic with all of the, the white glove service that the Chinese uh, have so much sentimentality for. Your, your new Chinese middle, middle class yeah. wonders why no one wears tuxedos anymore. Now uh, that our country's <laughs> rich, now everything goes to hell. What are the odds? <laughs> and they have hired no less than actor Bernhard Hill. Oh, the guy that plays the captain. Who played Captain Edward Smith to be the honorary captain of the what will probably <laughs> be the Titanic 2 that first, that first is... Uh, First Christian. That dude's over world. Like, let's, can't we just get an honorary captain who has not already sunk one Titanic? <laughs> I want both of these to become seaworthy, and then is it too much to ask to, for them to fight? That they crash into each other and both sink. One can be the Olympia Titanic sister. Sure, 
but nobody's going to want to rebuild the Olympia. They're both going to say this is the Titanic too. You know what I want to rebuild? I want to rebuild the iceberg. And that concludes the Titanic 2, entry 1311.PR1618, certificate number 50231, in the omnibus. Please, if, uh, if you're coming from a future where there are multiple Titanics plying the seas, uh, you can find our historic record online at Omnibus Project, individually at John Roderick and at Ken Jennings. Look for the futurelings on Facebook and Reddit and elsewhere. Email us at omnibus, what is it, theomnibusproject at gmail.com. It's not the Omnibus Project, yeah. You can mail us things at P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington. For example, we have this Wisconsin postcard, which is a uh, Penguin Classics cover. That's hmm. very cool. I guess he bought the postcard and then the episode came out. It's an ice cream sundae that has an eyeball in it? Yeah, classic. Edited by Brian Aldis, who I believe wrote the uh, story that AI is based on. Is oh. that the right guy? Okay. They watch me on Jeopardy and they call me Mr. J. Oh, Mr. J. But Here they, he comes. They could call you Mr. J. You're, you know, your name starts with a J. If you don't know me, you can call me Mr. J. Here's a postcard from not labeled. We don't know, but it's a wolf. This, uh, I can't even see where the postmark is from. This person, oh, Vancouver, Canada. Thank you, Vancouverite. This person supports local stores by buying postcards there. Nice. Then he supports the U.S. Postal Service by sending us postcards. You should support local stores by buying extra-large cowichan sweaters and sending them to me in the mail. Matt and Larissa uh, sent us this from Columbus, Ohio. Says the next time we're in Dublin, go to the uh, Guinness storehouse. I've walked by it and did not do the tour. After all of your anti-Irish bias, you're going to have a hard time. I think that'll convert me. Visiting Guinness is the thing that will actually turn me around on the Irish. And this is my favorite postcard we've ever received. It is postmarked from Antarctica. I mean, it's a Punta Arenas Chile postcard. Cool. But uh, this traveler, uh, this unnamed, oh, Ramon. Ramon, our Chilean correspondent, somehow got this postmarked from a Chilean base in Antarctica. I don't know. I don't know what kind of strings you have to pull with the uh, with the uh, Allende government. Hmm. I don't know who's running Chile. Probably not Allende. Probably not Allende, thanks to the CIA and Greenpeace. <laughs> anyway, thank you for sending us these postcards. As alluded to in the Vancouver postcard, it's good to support uh, your local postcard shop. It's good to support postal services. But if you'd like to support Omnibus specifically, you can do so at patreon.com slash omnibusproject. You are not getting the full experience if you're missing out on the addenda shows and other perks. Futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we wish you many goods and cheese. And we wish you... Come visit us often, and we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus.